Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If you would, take your Bible, open it to the book of Titus. We're going to continue to go verse by verse through the book of Titus, and we are going to look at verses 9 through 16 in the book of Titus. And a subtitle under the series title as we go through the book of Titus, which is Grace and Godliness is the overall theme, is Holding Firm in the Faithful Word. We have a second address to pastors and elders and teachers about their job, their role, and uh, the emphasis here after it deals with the character of a man who's to take this office is it deals with his ability to teach and hold firm to sound doctrine. I came across a story that illustrates the point. It's written in a commentary by R. Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell. They write the following. His research made him famous. Max Sherman, a scientist who studies energy efficiency in buildings, had examined the effectiveness of various sealants for heating and air conditioning ducts. He came up with a startling conclusion, first reported on the web, then rapidly picked up in the Wall Street Journal, the Associated Press, and a host of broadcast media. Sherman's news was, the mo- was that most of the duct sealants on the market worked well, with one notable exception, duct tape. Anybody use duct tape out there? <laughs> and just a few days after its application, reported Sherman, duct tape failed reliably and often catastrophically. News shows and interviewers began to pick up the story, and Sherman was interviewed, and the following exchange is recorded in this commentary. Interviewer. How did duct tape get its name? Sherman, I don't know. Interviewer, what can you use it for? Sherman, anything but ducks. (laughs) Interviewer, do you use duct tape? Sherman, all the time, just not on ducks. What made Sherman's uh, duct tape discovery newsworthy, of course, was that the product that our society, society jokingly refers to as the force that holds the universe together, while good for many functions, could not fulfill the one purpose for which it was designed. Interesting, isn't it? And as we go through the pastoral epistles, we're going to look at the purpose of a pastor. One of the main purposes of a pastor is a teaching ministry. He is to use the duct tape illustration to hold firmly to that which is trustworthy. He's to hold it up. He's to share it with the people because that is what will hold the church together and hold us firmly to the head, which is Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this section now, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. You'd remind us that the whole foundation of what we're going to read is grace, that we're saved by grace, that grace teaches us to do certain things. And one of the things that grace teaches us to do, Lord, is to impart the gospel of hope, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his glorious uh, ministry now to the church, through a throne of grace to his people. And Lord, we pray that you would add and take away from what I've prepared so that you would speak and that your servants would have ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord. We lay this time at your feet and pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now I touched last time that, um, touched on the fact last time that it seems to me that there's a lot of places in the modern church where you kind of start to wonder if pastors have read the pastoral epistles. I told you that epistle is just another name for a letter, and it was written specifically to leaders of the church. Leaders of the church are here instructed as to how they should lead. 
And one of the primary emphasis of the text is that a leader, elder, pastor in the church, his primary role is to be a teacher. This is the way that he equips the saints. This is the way that he helps people to grow. And he does that by teaching that which is firm. He is, Titus 1.9, to hold fast, pick it up with me, Titus 1.9, to hold fast the faithful word, the word is faithful, and he is to be faithful, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine, that word sound is a word where we get hygienic or healthy, healthy doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. So this is the foundation of what we're going to look at now, is the role of a pastor is to exhort or encourage in healthy doctrine. The opposite of healthy doctrine is unhealthy doctrine. In fact, we would argue that there are some teachings that are afoot in the modern church that are not only unhealthy, they are downright poisonous to people because they poison people to the truth. It is the truth that gives us firmness. It is the truth that is our foundation. But if people begin to compromise the truth, then of course, it infects and affects the body. The elder must be firm in what is firm. He must show loyalty to the truth because in showing loyalty to the truth, he shows loyalty to Christ. And for you and me, as people who have been saved by the grace of God, we know what our purpose is. You don't have to guess at your purpose. We are to live for the honor of Christ. We are to live for the loyalty of Christ. And as we are loyal to the truth, we are loyal to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the message that we preach is leading people to the one who can give us ultimate freedom. What we find out in this particular section, as we look at verses 10 and 11, if you take a peek for a second, there are many rebellious men. Jesus said there, are, there will be many false prophets, many false teachers, not just a few. Notice verse 10, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because their words have an impact. And here's the impact. They're upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. What these men are doing is they're teaching false doctrine, but the false doctrine is literally upsetting whole households. There are some Authors that comment on this passage that say households could be house churches. Their false doctrine is permeating churches or families or both to the degree, here's the Greek language, that they are literally overturning families and churches. And I thought of a capsized boat here. I thought of a family riding in a boat and all of a sudden that boat is turned over and that family is in jeopardy or peril. This has happened on many occasions where people come in. They'll come in with a false doctrine or an empty doctrine based upon deceit or the motive is gain. And all of a sudden it begins to cause division in the church. We're talking about things that are uh, attacks on the essentials of the faith. I'm not talking about peripheral doctrines, things that are debatable matters. But if someone goes in and tries to redefine how one is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing, if they begin to mess with the deity of Christ, the nature of God, the bodily resurrection, all these essential Christian doctrines, then it is a huge issue. And many times what has happened, and this is the, the kind of the um, stream that Paul's dealing with, is that in Paul's day, what was happening is people were teaching a gospel plus message. They were saying, yeah, you're saved by Jesus Christ plus this, this, and this. It takes on many faces today 
People come along and they say, okay, yeah, this whole teaching about the grace of God is fine, but you have to be baptized by our minister and our baptismal according to our formula or you're not saved. I met a girl at a golf course uh, some years back and she was working behind the counter. We were a group with a group of golfers and I began to try to witness to her and I said, do you know the Lord? Do you have any church background? And she said, I will never step foot in a church again. And I was like, Why? She goes, because I grew up in a church where if you wore makeup, you're going to hell. If you wore a dress, you're going to hell. If you danced, you're going to hell. If you see certain movies, you're going to hell. If you listen to secular music, you're going to hell. She said, I grew up in this kind of uh, setting, and I don't want to step foot in a place like that again. And I tried to reassure her, and I tried to say to her, look, that's not what you experience. I'm sorry for that, but that's not the case in all churches. And uh, you could just see it kind of deflecting off of her. She had had a very bad experience. I was talking to someone after first service, and even though we're saved by grace and we realize that it's 100% paid in full by the finished work of Christ, grace is a hard thing for all of us to get our arms around, isn't it? Sometimes it's a hard thing to let it really sink into your soul that you are as saved as you're ever going to be right now if you are a Christian. You cannot add one thing to the perfection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be more righteous in God's eyes than you are right now if you're a Christian. Because Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. You are a forgiven man or woman, righteous in the eyes of God. Now, should you try to improve in your practical righteousness? Yes, should you try because of the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more godly? Yes, that's going to be the point as the book unfolds. But you cannot have the foundation wrong. If as a believer, according to the book of Romans, you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ put into your account by your faith in him, can you be any more righteous than the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Answer is no. Now, practically, we do want to become more like him. We want to become more godly in our activity and behavior. There's no doubt about it. But right now, you are 100% pure in the eyes of your Father because Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath on the cross in full and Jesus lived the perfect life, satisfied the law in full. And because you are in Christ, that is your status before Almighty God. And that is what Paul went around the Roman world preaching, a gospel of grace, to Jew and Gentile alike, that you're saved by grace. And grace means, remember, a free gift, unmerited favor through the channel of faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one should boast. But there were people in the first century, and they probably were well-meaning people as a whole, at least some of them. And they were saying, you know what? Oh, that sounds good, but here's what you have to do now. And this would come into the area of food. So you got to keep the certain food laws or you have to go through circumcision or you have to show up on certain days or fast on certain days or wear this clothing or don't wear that clothing. And they were adding to the gospel. And they weren't just, weren't just saying it for matters of practical righteousness. They were saying that your standing before God is based upon whether or not you do the things that they are stating you should do. And they were ruining whole families and this was falling into a category which we often define as legalism. That is, that people were beginning to judge other people based upon standards that God wouldn't even uh, hold them to in the sense of their standing before him. So the man of God 
is to teach the whole truth of God. This will sanctify the saints. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 138, verse 2, God says, I, Through David, I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy holy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. So, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the Donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. So the pastorate or the elder, their primary tool by which we help people experience freedom, experience God as their shield, know their identity in Christ is the Word of God. Sometimes I will use stories and humor to bring a little extra color to the canvas or illustrate a word or a point. But my main tool is the Word of God. Because the word is a lamp to our feet and what? A light to our path. It is alive. It has the power to transform our lives and to reassure us and give us hope in a world that is filled with hopelessness, in a world that needs to know the truth of the word of God. And so the pastor teaches the word and he always comes back because the whole Bible is really about Christ. So he comes back to the one uh, who is Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 10. It's a connecting word for, the, the word in Greek is gar. There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. Doesn't it seem like there are many, there always seems to be many, <laughs> many lies, many false things going on. There are many, I want you to notice in the verse, rebellious men. At the heart of their false teaching or doctrine is rebellion. Rebellion against what? Re rebellion against the Word of God or re rebellion against the God of the Word. They simply don't want to obey Him, so they come up with other schemes and other gadgets and other methods to try to do church. This happened in Chicago, where a well-meaning group of people some several decades ago now saw that some churches were dying in their attendance. So they went and did door-to-door -door surveys. Their intentions were good. They wanted to find out why people weren't coming to church. So they would go to Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith, non-churchgoer, probably unbeliever, and they would say, why don't you go to church? And the response would be, well, the sermons are too long. And all God's people said, shh. What do you mean sermons are too long? Right? They would say, I don't want to hear anything about hell. Don't mention hell and I'll come. Some people would say, what I really want to see is when you guys do potlucks, I'd really like to see Polish sausage there. <laughs> All right? Not just regular hot dogs. Other people would say, I, I really like ping pong. Could you guys do ping pong tournaments there? And not to leave the ladies out. Could you guys, could you guys do stuff with fashion or whatever? And all of a sudden, the, the people said, hey, okay, taking the survey. So if we do these things, would you come? Eh, yeah, twice a year on Easter and Christmas, right? So they began to shape the church to the wants and the whims of unbelievers. 
with the intention of winning them to Christ. Now, here's a key distinction that you need to understand. And I, this was uh, made clear, and it came out on a radio program hosted by Greg Kokel. It's called Stand to Reason. A woman called the program, and she said these words. She said, look, I go to this church, and they're wonderful people. They have a real heart for the gospel, but the church has shifted, and there's 20-minute sermonettes. And you know what sermonettes create? Christianettes, right? And, and they're not really getting into the substance of the word. And I feel like I'm so hungry when I go to church, but I'm not getting it at my church. So what should I do? Here's my plan. You tell me what I should do, Greg. My plan is to go to the leadership of the church. And I've been praying about this. And maybe God wants me to stay there so I can become a change agent in the church. So I can convince the leadership to change their methodology. And Greg's response was this. He said, look, every church should be seeker-sensitive. If I see a seeker comes through the door, I'm going to be sensitive to their presence here. I would like them to hear the truth and know the truth. And if they've ended up here, then we want to make sure they feel the love of Christ and hear the truth of the gospel. But a lot of churches are not seeker-sensitive. They are seeker-centered. Everything they do is for the seeker. And what happens is 95% of the church that's sitting there is born again, hungry to know Christ better and they are told, you must sacrifice for the potential 5% unchurched and unbelievers that walk into church because we have polar sausage on the barbecue afterwards. <laughs> Everybody know what I'm saying now? It's not an issue to be seeker-sensitive, but if you are seeker-sensitive, what happens is that the church who needs the Word of God is not given what they need to be equipped. And so they suffer for the sake of this so-called 5% Vocal majority. <laughs> and so here's what Paul says. He says, look, there are many rebellious men, and they are, look at verse 10, they are empty talkers. The Greek here has the idea of their message has no substance. Have you ever been in a situation where you listen to someone for a while, and you're like, I have no idea what that person just said. <laughs> Hopefully you don't experience that on Sunday mornings, Right? Sometimes we're guilty in the church of using too much Christianese, so we have to be careful. The old saying is we have to take the hay down from the loft where the cows can get at it. Everybody know what I'm saying? Put the cookie on the bottom shelf, all that stuff. Look, sometimes pastors can be accused of using too much technical language. Forgive me if I do that sometimes, but I live in that world. I'm always studying, right? But I think it's good if you are challenged as a Christian, even if some things go over your head, it's bound to hit the person sitting behind you. It's not bad that instead of dumbing it down, we actually raise the bar a little in the church. Amen? And say, look, there is a God who is so majestic in his attributes, so incredible in his grace, so multifaceted in his glory, that we would want to go a little deep, wouldn't you say? So that we don't have this mindset that the church is something I do to get in and get out like a popular you know, restaurant on a Sunday afternoon. I hope that's not what your Christianity is about. I hope it's not just let's get in and get out so we can get on with our normal everyday life. No, Christ is the center of our life. And that's what godliness is. It's a Christ-centered life. Well, these guys are starting to say, no, 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 no. What you got to do is this and, and that. One writer says, one of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today is the problem of legalism. Uh, it's a serious problem today, and it was a serious problem in Paul's day. 
Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer. And with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. The truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under the law is a miserable parody for the real thing. They say things like this, Why are you wearing that t-shirt? Don't you know who makes that t-shirt? Oh, why do you do that? They, they become these, these, the, the police of your life. They nitpick everything. Do you know there are cultic groups right now today that have people spying on each other? Now, we've thought of that. We've, there's certain individuals. <laughs> right? And they have reports that they write on other people. Oh, so-and-so was at the frozen yogurt place. Glutton. Right? And they write reports on one another, right? And, and it turns into this thing. Think about how this works now. If the gospel of grace is chucked aside for some legalistic rule-keeping message, then everybody becomes the judgment police. Oh, God probably doesn't love you today. Look what you did, right? And all of a sudden, instead of a group of people saved by grace and celebrating grace week in and week out, we become the judgment police. Oh, you shouldn't be wearing that. Or you shouldn't be doing that. Now look, it is true that Christians should be doing certain things and not doing certain things, but what should drive us is the glory of the one that saved us. Example, there was a man, young man, he was going to a fellowship. He was struggling with same-sex attraction and pursuing that lifestyle. And so he came to the church and he heard the gospel and he came and the people in the church were loving him. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he called the pastor on a Friday night and he said, Pastor, he said, I've given my life to Christ, but I am extremely tempted right now. My friends have been calling me to go out and party with them and go back to my old ways. What should I do? And the pastor's response was, what do you think a man who has the righteousness of Christ and has been saved by grace and has a new identity in Christ should do on a Friday night? He didn't say, oh, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. He just said, now that you are in Christ, what do you think you should do? Now that you know who you are, how should you behave? That's what drives the Christian, is I want to do things for the honor of Christ. You know, if you ask the average churchgoer today, why do you go to church on Sunday? You would get a variety of answers. But do you know that one of the main reasons we ought to go to church is for the glory of the one who bought our souls? We should do it for the glory of Christ. Yeah, we benefit and hopefully we're serving. But a Christian under this kind of legalism is a poor parody. And look, when the world looks at it and they see joyless, listless Christians under this dark gloom of legalism, do you think they want a part of it? If, if that's the way that we behave in our lives, like we're always, everywhere we walk in, it's like we're going to the library. Shh, shh, shh. Can't laugh. We don't, we don't laugh around here. Right? then people begin to get this taste of God that is just wrong. God, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Right? Those are the attributes that we should be hopefully uh, showing to the world. These false teachers, because of what they do, verse 11, must be literally muzzled, silenced, because they're upsetting or ruining or overturning. Remember that capsized boat? whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Here's their motivation. Their motivation is money. 
They are motivated by gain. And so they package, oftentimes, a prosperity message for their gain, not your gain. You want to measure a ministry? Ask yourself, are you gaining or are they gaining? Now, it is not wrong for a pastor. You guys pay the staff of the pastoral and the rest of the, the staff that's here. You pay our salaries. You keep me doing what I'm doing. Instead of having to go out and work, I'm able to study the Bible and minister to people, and that, that is true for the staff. There's nothing wrong with supporting ministry, but when ministry becomes a scheme for gain, personal gain, something like this. You give to my ministry right now. Somebody out there is supposed to give $2,000 to my ministry. And when you do, the Lord spoke to me, God's going to put your, college, your kid through college at no cost to you. The money's just going to come in. Now, how many of you, doing a quick calculation, I have three boys, college age, $2,000 for four years of a university education? Praise the Lord, where do I sign? Right? A fraction of the cost. This is great. Jesus did say, love one another. And this is definitely an outward action that is provided that you do have to be authentically denying yourself and putting others before yourself in ministry and taking care of them in whatever ways and means that you are called to be a leader in the church to provide for others who do need ministering and encouragement. And this text shows you your main tool, Oscar. Your main tool is to hold fast uh, to the word of God, to exhort this is verse 9 of chapter 1 in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Sound is a word used in many places in Paul's writings and it means healthy. So uh, healthy doctrine produces healthy sheep. So it, the analogy is what we put in our bodies or how we live or how much we exercise, etc. So um, when healthy doctrine is being given out, it will produce healthy sheep. The opposite of is true as well. When unhealthy doctrines being preached, mm -hmm. you have people giving false views of the resurrection, uh, preaching another gospel, another Christ, then the elder pastor has to be able to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. And he has to make a refutation. And how does he do that? With the truth. And he does that by saying, look, you know, you may have heard this, but this is not true. This is true. And so he has to know truth well enough. He has to know the real thing well enough to refute what is false and protect the sheep. That's all part of the job description. And to know the truth is to constantly be at God's word mm -hmm. so that you know and encourage others with what exactly is the truth. And in verse 10, it tells us that there are many insubordinate, uh, both idle talkers and deceivers. Now, how do you know the truth between uh, counterfeit is, again, it goes back to spending time in the word, spending time and knowing the shepherd and spending time away from yourself, but also um, seeking out God's will for others as well as yourself. Yeah. And the word is the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Oscar. So whenever we're dealing with these kinds of issues, we let the word settle it. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.